tension. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Folks, welcome back. You are still listening to The Valley Labor Report, and we are now in overtime. The second half of the program, where we are online only, we have... uh, freed ourselves from the shackles of the FCC censors, and we're going to continue talking union, talking labor, uh, talking news, all sorts of stuff. Um, Really excited to talk to Will from Jobs to Move America about community benefits agreements. Um, There's some really cool stuff coming out of that. But uh, first, uh, we got a caller, looks like. All right, let's get the caller on the air here. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us in the chat and the $5 super chat from Infinite Contents. Thank you. All right, 714, you're on the air. Buenos dias, gentlemen. Buenos dias, Jake, Adam. It's Jose Francisco Negrete out here from uh, Anaheim, California. Teamster Local 952, 25-year part-timer. And I want to give you a quick shout-out to my boys in the Anaheim Twilight. <laughs> Some of them have actually been listening to the show. <laughs> They're oh, like, dude, awesome. were you on uh were you on were you on some show? Like, yeah, I call <laughs> in sometimes. So shout out to them. So 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 it's it's the Valley Labor Report is kinda of growing. I I guess I'm the Southern California uh labor report. There you go. <laughs> you're our Anaheim delegate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're our <laughs> Yes, yes. Well it's Southern California because I, I you know, I go to L.A. a lot. I want to go to uh, San Diego because their San Marcos sub in local uh, 542 is going to have a practice picket this Wednesday morning. So I want to go and hopefully I have my shirts made because I want to have three. Sh- I'm making three shirts. One that says fight for 25. The other one is going to say uh, 25 to survive. And one that I got from my good friend uh, Jessica Lester from uh, local 728 that said, uh, 25 is the low or we won't know. So I want to take one one of those uh, goodies with me down there because it's uh, now that written down, the negotiations are going to resume this Tuesday. It's vitally important that the part-timers finally get some piece of the pie because for so long, uh, the, drive, the top rate for drivers, have, it's always gone up. It's never stayed stagnant. It's never stayed at 36 or... 39 or uh, 41 it's always always gone up but part-time pay has stayed stagnant those wages have been depressed it wasn't just till recently that in 20 uh 2013 contract that it went up it went up from 850 to 10 dollars you know they go whoopie doo but yeah it's time to get the message out that the that the part-timers deserve a thriving wage of 25 dollars you know, anything less than that for me and hopefully for many other part-timers. And I know there's some comrades that are in, uh, that are full-timers like my friend, uh, 
my good friend, Will Benya, or we call Big Will the Thrill, is we're going to vote no. I mean, we, we can't be kicking this can down the road any longer. Part-timers de- deserve uh, a thriving wage. The short amount of hours that we work and the intensity of that duration is taxing on a body. You should see some of these guys and some of these girls that load. Love you too. I'm talking to my son. Excuse me, <laughs> but I do love the show. The the when uh, when uh, one of the members is either preloading into you know loading into three or four package cars or loading into a 45 foot trailer, there you're you're coming out drenched in sweat. Your clothes are dirty. Probably maybe a cut and a, and a bruise here and there. You know right. it's 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 time that part timers deserve a slice of the pie. Our our wealth has generated billions for UPS, billions. Why do you think they make so much money? It's because right. the suppression of the part-time wages for so long has benefited only one, which is UPS. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that, I, that's... Do what? Okay, I was going to say, I heard you guys were talking about the health insurance. If you're in team care, you have one punch a one punch a month rule, which is mm-hmm. awesome. But if you're out here... In the Southwest, Arizona, Nevada, uh, Southern California. I forgot. Hopefully, I didn't miss one state. I think I said Arizona. You're under uh, one punch a week. So if you punch on, if you punch in, for example, take of argument, we're going to go on strike. We work on the 31st. We, I mean, yeah, we work on the 31st. We strike on August 1st. So by by August 5th, we will lose our health insurance. So it's vitally important, whatever state you're in, to go into uh, talk to your union representatives and find out if there's uh, if there's some sort of state coverage that you could be on in Southern California or in California in general speaking, you could get uh, covered California with the call the Cadillac plan. It's uh, it's Assembly Bill 2530, which states, uh, sorry, uh, any worker that goes on that loses your job for for like a strike reason they could they could get uh covered california and they'll get the premium health insurance that the state uh allows so we have that out here but that's for some for somebody that that has their uh family on health care and one of their family members needs that health insurance because they have like my son has a uh, uv light treatment because he has a skin cancer like superficial so he has to go into this booth and it's a uv light mm. you know so my son needs it right fortunately right. for me i work as an instructional assistant at that high school district so they've given me health insurance after like 10 years you know i've been there 17 but you know but i have to go over there and just you know change insurance just in case but with negotiation resuming and a couple weeks ago i I want to say two weeks ago, the IBT said that, and Sean O'Brien reiterated this last uh, on the last uh, membership call. I believe it was Sunday at last Sunday, saying if there's a tentative agreement in place, then you know he's going to let the process play out, and it's going to be the traditional mail ballot, which we'll get a letter in in, in our sent to our house. It's going to have a a website and an access code. You put that access code. You know, you go on that website, you put that access code in, the ballot shows up. So he mm-hmm. said it's going to, he's going to let that play out. But if that 
if that attendant agreement doesn't have $25 starting or part-timers, for me, it's a no. And then if, and I just hope the sound of my voice, hopefully it's not annoying too, but that part-timers listen to it and understand your work, your work has dignity. Your work has value. Don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. Don't let a, a senior part-timer tell you otherwise. Don't let a, a, a management tell you otherwise. Your work has dignity. Your work has value. Vote no if it's $25 or less. You need. We need to make a stand. At what point do we make a stand? So 25% of, of uh, part-timers are are being unhoused or living in shelters, at what point? I already know of members that, that are living in house, uh, living, uh, that, are, that are unhoused or living in a shelter or have some uh, housing complications. At what point? Right. We have to do the morally right thing for, for the part-timers. Full-timers, you got yours. I'm so happy for you guys. You guys deserve it. It's a hard work when you, when you go driving. But don't forget about the part-timers. Do not forget about the part-timers. You might make as much as a as a hub manager makes you think that you're upper middle class. But remember where you came from. You probably started in part-time. And you probably start you probably worked part-time for a good six years. And then you got your call and you went driving and you passed the class. And you passed your probation. But you have to look out for your for for your part-timers. You have to. An injury to one is an injury to all. If we've been suffering through poverty pay and you've been excelling because of your hard work and top rate for drivers have never gone down, it's never stayed stagnant, it's time that you look to your part-timers and say, you know what, you guys deserve you guys deserve a slice of the pie. I uh, could not agree more. You mentioned the uh, uh, a member's update from Sean O'Brien. Did he say if there is a tentative agreement um, that's made, you know, kind of late? Will wh- what is the um, what's the plan as far as as far as as striking? If there's a tentative agreement, will y'all just be working without a contract until the agreement is yes. ratified or or voted no or voted down? Well, yeah, like it depends. If there's a tentative agreement, like, for example, on July 31st, there's a handshake. For the 11th hour, there's a handshake, right? Then he's going to let the process play out, which will take two to three weeks. And we're going to work through that ratification mm-hmm. process. Now, if it gets shot down, if it gets voted no, for whatever reason that may be, you know, that, that, <laughs> that's going to be interesting. Uh, no, uh, I don't think anybody's asked Sean O'Brien, our general president, that if this contract gets uh, shot down, will he take us on strike? That part I don't know. I had a talk with him Tuesday because he visited my hub. <laughs> he visited Anaheim Twilight, and I just said, you know, the fight has to be for 25. And not so many words. I, I, I reiterated to him the fight, it has to be at 25. I mean, I don't need to be telling him I'm going to vote no, but me stressing upon the vote for 25 is my way of saying, look, you, it has to be 25 or it's going to be a no. But I kept, I kept stressing upon it uh, about the fight for 25. What was his reaction? 
he was cordial. He was listening. He was he was telling me he's fighting. He's fighting, you know. But I, I just I kept reiterating to him, it has to be 25. He goes, for either for, if it's a fight for 25, 22, or 23, we're fighting. We're fighting. So I, I told him, like, it has to be 25. Like, my, like my good friend Jessica Lister from 728 says, 25 is the low, or we vote no. I'm trying to do like a Southern draw. She's from, from Atlanta. <laughs> that was not a good Southern draw, Jose. Okay, I'm, <laughs> all right. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess Dukes of Hazard didn't do, you know, when I watched as a kid, I, you know, I thought I was one of the Dukes of Hazard dudes. I love the car, except for the Confederate flag. But the car was pretty cool, and the show was pretty cool. But uh, anywho, <laughs> I digress. Uh, you know, it's 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 25. It's 25. The fight has to be for 25. We have all these multi tiers <laughs> that we have a UPS through classifications 22 23s uh, combo. You know they they make like uh, six dollars less than a than a regular package car driver. <laughs> why why do we have these hierarchies? And guess what? Many of our members just accept this hierarchy and we'll defend the hierarchy we'll be like oh no we deserve we just we deserve that you guys don't deserve 25 you guys deserve 20 and the other five should go for us and it should go into the pension right you know we have to make the choices no i don't see ups making the choices in 2020 when ups could have done the morally right thing and pay us hazard pay they chose not to they chose to say we have an existing contractual agreement when it comes to economics we wouldn't respect that Right. right when they and when they when they made a hundred billion in revenue in 2020, and they authorized uh, a five uh, five billion uh, uh, for stock buyback, and right. they and then they approved another two million, I think, on top of it for stock buyback. That one's been doing the right thing. Why couldn't they use that seven billion and give it to the and give it to the workforce that worked through um fear, that worked through uncertainty, and some of us passed away. You know, some of us are still feeling the ramifications of COVID. UPS never does the right thing. They don't choose. They choose to uh, to 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 reward themselves rather than reward the people who are actual lo- the logistics, the people who 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 are able to get it done, which is mm-hmm. us, the workers. Right. Jose, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate All you. Right. Uh. We have Will in the Zoom now, right? We do have Will in the Zoom. Perfect. So, Will um, Tucker. Will Tucker is the director for the Jobs to Move America's Southern Program. He's got nearly a decade of experience as a journalist in Alabama and Washington, D.C. His expertise lies in filing public records requests and digging through data. Previously, he worked for the Southern Poverty Law Center as an investigative reporter covering criminal justice, focusing on prisons and work release. I wonder if, I guess I'll ask him if he was part of the union campaign there. Uh, before that, in Washington, D.C., he covered congressional ethics and, rele- uh, and money and politics for the Houston Chronicle and OpenSecrets.org. Their reports under his byline led to two ethics committee investigations in the House of Representatives involving misconduct by 11 members of Congress and the federal conviction of a former congressman on nearly two dozen corruption charges. Wow. Will, thank you for joining the Valley Labor Report. Hey, y'all. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. 
Absolutely. So I see here that you uh, that, that you worked for the Southern Poverty Law Center. Were you there during the Union campaign a few years ago? I did, and I was, um, and uh, happily signed a card. And yeah, it was a, a really formative experience for me, actually, um, you know, on my path into kind of the labor movement work. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we were really we were really excited uh, to see that campaign. We had the honor of talking to a few of the people in the union, uh, both during the during the union campaign and since then. Um, so really appreciate their work. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Could you just start by, you know, with that in mind, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your story, particularly as it relates you know, to labor and the working class movement? Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, you mentioned uh, in in my intro uh, that I, I used to be a, a journalist, an investigative reporter, um, and really the uh, the short you know answer to how I got into the work that we're we're doing today with Jobs with America, um, I did an investigation um, into a death at a poultry plant in 2018. Um, it was. Um, the death of, death of a man named Frank Ellington, who had been in the prison work release program. Um, and uh, so he was, you know, incarcerated, um, but was uh, basically bussed to and from uh, this poultry plant in Ashland, Alabama, um, every day uh, to work there. Um, and uh, just pretty horrific uh, conditions in poultry plants, as I'm sure that y'all have, have uh, talked about or, or um or at least aware of, um, even to this day, I mean, there was a, a death of a young man in, in Mississippi. Uh, right. Just yeah, we were we were talking about ago, that just uh, earlier this, plant, this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah poultry plant in, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. But so I did this in you know I, I investigated this death and and how it came to be that a that a you know man was put in such a dangerous position. Um, and just got really interested in all of these issues, like kind of attendant issues to that. So, so this was a, a union facility. So it's an RWDSU represented facility, um, or, or plant rather. Um, but I got really interested in the ways that, uh, companies, particularly in the South and particularly in the rural South are, uh, cracking their workforces and diluting the power of unions by, um, you know, seeking out and receiving, um, in many cases, uh, you know, assists from the state um, in, um, you know, obtaining um, workers who are more vulnerable, workers who can't fight back, workers who are uh, prevented one way or another from joining the union. Um, and yeah, so I got really interested in those issues. Um, and that kind of set me off on this uh, path where, you know, I wanted to use my investigative reporting skills um, kind of on behalf of or, or, you know, in solidarity with the labor movement. Um, and that led me to Jobs to Move America. So that's how I got to where I am today. Awesome. Yeah. And and I think you're, you're touching on something that we talk about a lot on this show, which is the some of the unique ways uh, that the South is just hyper exploited uh, in the ways in which unions are you're just really combated. Uh, every step of the way here in the South. Uh, so tell us about Jobs to Move America. What kind of work do y'all do? You know, what is JMA and, and what are y'all up to? Yeah, sure. So Jobs to Move America is a, we're a nonprofit uh, strategic uh, policy and campaigns center. Um, we've got offices in um, California, Illinois, 
New York um, and the South, so around uh, Birmingham and uh, Jackson, Mississippi. We've got personnel in all those places. And when I say strategic campaigns and policy centers, basically what I mean is that you know, our um, purpose is to advocate for um, policies in the uh, purchasing regions of this country. So the places that buy a lot of goods that are manufactured in places like the South. And so we focus on procurement policies in those areas, like in Los Angeles and in New York City and Chicago. We try to influence the purchasing uh, policies, the procurement policies in those places and add to those um, procedures standards for the uh, jobs that are created and sustained by the purchasing of those uh, cities. So to give you an example, um, you know, when electric buses are manufactured in Alabama, they're purchased by um, oftentimes, you know, places like LA Metro. Um, thanks to Jobs to Move America's work, LA Metro has adopted um, a series of standards for um, job quality that uh, manufacturers of electric buses um, need to abide by in order to um, get a leg up in the uh, RFP process, get a leg up in the um, in the procurement process. They you know get awarded extra points for showing that they have um, lived up to uh, certain salary and uh, job benefits. And so, you know, the quickest way to get those um, uh, standards met is uh, to, you know, unionize your facility. And so we use these uh, policies that we achieve in places like LA and New York City um, to really advocate um, in the South uh, in particular um, on behalf of workers. Yeah, and one of the things that is a big part of the work that y'all do is community benefits agreements. So I was wondering if you could, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, what are CBAs in general? Uh, how do they happen? And why are they a good thing for the labor movement? Yeah, of course. So community benefits agreement is a private contract between an employer and often a coalition of community groups, which includes labor, but it can also include, um, you know, social justice organizations and um, immigrant rights organizations. Um, folks like the in Alabama, we have a coalition for community benefits that includes the state chapter of the NAACP, um, Greater Birmingham Ministries, which is a, a faith-based direct services um, organization based out of Birmingham. Um, Alabama Arise, which is a research-focused uh, 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 research and advocacy nonprofit in Montgomery, um, and several other organizations. I think we're up to uh, nearly, you know, twenty to two dozen organizations that are uh, in and around and in solidarity with our coalition here. But so the community benefits agreement, um, you know, the the coalition comes together and uh, sits on one side of the table, negotiates across the table with a, a company, a manufacturer, and um, what we can achieve through this agreement are these kinds of uh, job standards, um, equity measures, and uh, provisions in the community benefit agreement that address specific problems to you know, the community where the manufacturing plant lies so or sits. And so um, a community benefits agreement can really, uh, can actually transform a local economy. It can transform a local community and a, a, you know, by 
um, changing the practices of, of one of the largest uh, employers in the air in a, you know in the area. Um, and so some examples of these agreements that Jobs Move America and our community coalitions have negotiated before are in the electric bus industry, like I mentioned earlier. So we've got, uh, you know, successful community benefits agreements with um, BYD, which is a bus manufacturer, electric bus manufacturer out in California. Um, and uh, importantly for this audience and for us here, um, a community benefits agreement with New Flyer, which is a, a bus manufacturer in Anniston, Alabama. Um, and this is, uh, you know, important because even within a community benefits agreement, it's important for labor because, you know, um, one of the things that you can really get the community behind and achieve in a community benefits agreement is, uh, you know, you can you can achieve favorable um, agreements and provisions with the company that really uh, level the playing field um, for workers who want to organize. And that's what we've been able to do um, at BYD, Proterra, another bus manufacturer, um, and at New Flyer as well. Um, we also focused at JMA in the past on um, the rail car industry, so uh, rail car manufacturing, and we have community benefits agreements with companies like CRRC and um, Shario, uh, which manufacture the rail cars that are, are purchased by um, metro transit agencies across the country. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating to be able to use something that seems kind of obscure, right? Like procurement policies of various metros, right? That doesn't exactly like, you know, excite the average person probably. Uh, but it's a way in which we can actually make real material impacts on people's lives uh, and actually improve people's lives at work. And so that's a really big deal. So I'm interested to hear a little bit more about the CBA, the Community Benefits Agreement with New Flyer in Anniston. Uh, you know, could you tell us a little bit like what's what's involved with that? Yeah, absolutely. So we can just go into um, looking at some of the provisions. Uh, one of the most important provisions, you know, kind of an equity uh, race and class equity provision um, is a series of um of targeted hiring goals. And so um, through negotiations uh, last year, New Flyer agreed to hire 45% 45 of all new hires from uh, historically disadvantaged groups. So these were defined as groups who had traditionally been blocked from jobs in the uh, manufacturing industry and in green uh, tech manufacturing in particular. And so, um, you know, historically disadvantaged groups, as defined by the agreement, includes uh, black workers. It includes LGBTQ folks. It includes um, uh, women, and uh, really, really importantly, folks who have uh, been caught up in the criminal punishment system, which is important in Alabama because of the, you know, high degree of over policing and over criminalization in the state that prevents so many people from uh, from getting jobs. So uh, we've got those targeted hiring provisions. Uh, we've got things in there, like again, on the, the issue with uh, folks who are systems impacted by the criminal punishment system, um, we achieved a ban the box provision. So New Flyer will not um, ask for, will not conduct a background check on any uh, worker before a conditional offer of employment is made. Uh, which is a really important criminal justice reform that we were able to bring to Alabama through the community benefits agreement. Don't know that that could have been achieved in this state in any other way. 
Um, and, uh, you know, we've got other uh, training is another huge section. So, so of the community benefits agreement. So New Flyer agreed um, to institute a new um, uh, technical training uh, initiative. Um, they're adopting a, um, an electrical apprenticeship program. Um, they also agreed to tie that electrical apprenticeship program to a pre-apprenticeship program that new that uh, Jobs to Move America is putting together right now. Um, and you can kind of see how this creates a pathway for uh, potential employees at that plant. So the um, kind of uh, aperture of who can be, you know, who the company lets in the door is opened up and they are, you know, being really intentional about hiring people from historically disadvantaged groups. Um, you know, we've removed some of those barriers again for, you know, like for example, the barriers against uh, systems impacted folks. And um, then once they're in the door at the plant, we've got a system, uh, we will have soon a system in place where um, those folks are supported and given the training that they need to succeed um, in uh the workplace, even if they have never stepped foot in a manufacturing setting before, which is really important. Um, and also, you know, that the the impact of a, a research on the impact of an apprenticeship program, I'm sure I don't need to tell this audience this because it's intuitive, you know, um, but the research on this as well uh, is kind of staggering. The, the ability, you know, if you're able to get into um, a rigorous apprenticeship program, um, the lifetime earnings that you're you're potentially going to be bringing in um, are um, pretty staggering. Um, and of course, that's another reason why it's important to um, you know remain in in really strong solidarity with our our you know union brothers and sisters who have have um, built out that apprenticeship system over the years. So. Um, yeah, there's a you know a bunch of other provisions in the community benefits agreement with New Flyer. Um, uh, you know, one other one I'll mention right now is a, a alternative complaint system that essentially gives workers um, a a way to address racial discrimination and sexual harassment claims. Um, that is uh, provides them with an advocate even within the company's internal processes. Um, and this, you know, is, uh, can be an empowering, um, thing for workers who, uh, would otherwise feel like they can't bring up the, the issue for fear of retaliation perhaps. So, right. um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Having, having an outside advocate, having an outside procedure and just knowing that there are other folks kind of watching, uh, that, that certainly helps, um. Uh, you know, I think these community benefit agreements are really an important way that we can rethink and reshape all this so-called, you know, economic development that we hear a lot from politicians about. They love that phrase, economic development. Uh, but I think using the community benefits agreements, we can really leverage state power and state money to uplift everyday people and lift the standards in our workplaces. And to accomplish these CBAs, obviously, we need buy-in from some pretty different groups, right? You, starting with the workers themselves, the the labor unions that may be involved, uh, community allies and coalition partners, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, ultimately, at least on some level, public officials and business interests, right, have to be bought into this. Uh, so, talk to us about some of the like the different. About the different and overlapping messages that you kind of have for these these different constituencies who are all are impacted by an agreement like this. 
Sure. Well, you know, first off, um, I've started when when explaining, you know, what we can achieve in a community benefits agreement to someone who's never heard it before. I've started kind of using this, just centering on solidarity. So, what a community coalition can achieve in a community benefits agreement or any kind of contract for that matter comes down to the degree of solidarity that you can achieve. It's directly proportional to the solidarity because that's where community power comes from. It comes from solidarity. So to give you an example, you know, when we were negotiating this agreement with New Flyer, um, our, uh, our community coalition, which also included uh, the uh, communication workers and um uh, and at CWA and uh, the steel workers. And then at one point, you know, the company thought that they might um, be able to negotiate with uh, just the unions. Uh, at, at another point, they thought they might just be able to negotiate with just the community groups. And throughout the negotiations, we always said, no, you, if you're going to negotiate with one of us, you negotiate with all of us. So um, that level of solidarity gave us the runway, gave us the strength and the power to, um, you know, get the best um, agreement possible. Um, and I think that that is, that's really just the name of the game is developing, developing unshakable solidarity between labor and community groups um, to achieve, um, you know, the best agreement possible. So, um, I think another thing too is, and to Adam, to your point, you know, we do need to have, you know, local business entities bought into these, um, you know, bought into these agreements. Certainly, New Flyer, for example, has to be bought into it, and they are, and they're, you know, a good partner for us, and um, you know, they're uh, achieving really remarkable things actually under the under the agreement. But another important part here is that with a community benefits agreement, we can circumvent the um, systems that keep labor and community groups down often in the state of Alabama in particular. So I'm thinking of the issue of preemption. So when the city of Birmingham tries to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour uh, several years ago, the state legislature jumps in and says, you know, no, you can't do that. Um, and preempts the, uh, preempts the local ordinance. Right. Um, our agreement is a private agreement between a coalition of, of, you know, community-based organizations and, uh, and unions. And so, um, there's nothing to preempt there. So this is why it's important that we can get that we seek, um, things like the ban the box provision that I mentioned earlier, um, things that would be preempted otherwise. So um, it's a it's an avenue for exercising power that gets us out from under the uh, blocks against that power um, in the state as well. Um, and again, you know, that just means as long as we have the runway that's built with solidarity and we can, you know, hold out in, in negotiations and demand more, um, there's really no limit to what we can achieve with these uh, community benefits agreements, no matter you know where the employer is. Um, and then, of course, you know once the agreement is signed, that's when we become you know um, you know it's when we get in partnership with the company itself. And a really key part of that is a system of accountability. So a community benefits agreement is a real community benefits agreement is governed by. Um, uh, system of private arbitration, so uh, binding private arbitration. So you know, 
we, our commitments to one another as partners, you know, the community groups, unions, and um, and the employer are enforceable. Uh, the the right. promises that the company makes are enforceable, which is an important uh, aspect of this as well. Right. Absolutely. There's actually, you know, strings attached. And right. That's always been my biggest beef with the way we do economic development here in the South and in Alabama is, uh, you know, the no strings attached subsidies and incentives and uh, or you see uh, celebrations of, of companies relocating to Alabama or coming to Alabama and expanding here. Uh, but there's never any discussion about, well, what kind of wages are they going to pay these people? How many are actually full-time versus part-time? What kind of benefits are going to be provided? You know, what's this company's record when it comes to the environment? What's their comp company's record when it comes to, uh, you know, formerly incarcerated workers or when it comes to uh, labor unions? Are they a vicious union-busting kind of company, right? Is that who is benefiting? And so those are all, you know, to me, factors that are really, that make this important, this community benefits agreement. And to your point, you're able to accomplish things that, you know, if this if we're being realistic, are not going to make it through the Alabama legislature in the year 2023, right? And and so some of the things that you can get uh, with this organizing power and, and bringing in the workers in the community together uh, is really pretty cool. I mean, considering the 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 tough uphill battle we have politically and like legislatively. Um, and so that kind of leads me to my next question, which is if someone is listening and thinks, wow, you know, this is really cool. That's that's great. I'd like to see that in, you know, my hometown in Athens or in Decatur or, or you know, Florence or wherever. What's your message to them about about doing this and, and trying to secure a community benefits agreement in their community? Yeah, well, I, I think the first thing is to think about, you know, so. I think the first thing to think about is what are your community assets? What community assets are you plugged into? And, and by community assets, I mean, you know, do you go to church? Does that church have a van that could participate in a, in a, you know, workforce equity program and helping people uh, without transportation get to work, um, you know, as they're kind of starting out in a new job. Um, but more importantly, like think about, you know, if you if you go to church or if you're part of a grassroots community organization, how can you reach out to uh, labor and start building those bonds of solidarity um, organically? You know, not necessarily between some you know statewide coalition like ours. Although you know, you'd be more than welcome to join our coalition meetings. Um, think about how you can build those organic uh, bonds in your own community between labor and the community groups that, you know, you can open the door um, at. So places where you can invite labor in, um, invite in, you know, a local business manager, invite in a local um, organizer. Um, there are campaigns going on all over, all over the place. Um, and if, you know, you doesn't have to be your union. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, it can just be uh, whatever is going on in your community. If you've got your ear to the ground and you know of, of workers who want to organize, connect them with um, the community organizations or again, churches or schools or whatever that you have, um, have access to and start building those bonds. So that's the, that's the very, very first thing. Um, and then I think, you know, look at, you um, 
one one thing that kind of ties all of all of my work together personally, and then um, also, you know, I think that that we're um, doing a really good job at at Jobs Move America Southern program right now on the research side, is look at where the most oppressed workers are in your community, and figure out how to build those bonds of um, of of real community with them. So, um, you know how how that can be done. Um, whether that's folks who have been um, incarcerated, folks who are under some kind of state supervision, whether those are undocumented immigrants in your community or, um, you know, anybody else, LGBTQ workers, um, you know, figure out, you know, who, who those folks are and uh, start building community intentionally with them. Um, you know, don't have an objective at the beginning, but, but become part of, of, you know, be in community. Um, in the organizing, you know, that I've participated in the past, we use this phrase like, you know, we can move at the speed of trust. And so we've got to build trust. And the more trust we have, the faster and better we can move with each other. And um, so that I think we need all over the state, all over Alabama, all over Mississippi, um, all the right. time. We got to and, and, for those. And not just for community benefits agreements, but just in general to build our power as everyday people. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, community. you know, I, I wouldn't close the door to community benefits agreements, but it's that solidarity that makes the real community benefits agreement powerful. So, you know, if you want to um, be thinking, you know, just think about the day when you can bring together, um, you know, your own local coalition of, of community groups, uh, you know, to, the doors of the factory and and tell them you know you need to listen to us and you need to sit down and negotiate a uh, an agreement with us that that resolves these problems for you know these um you know these workers these members of our community and uh, here's how you do that so um you know this can happen this can happen organically all over um but it can also there's something to be said also for kind of learning the the, the process and the rhythms of campaigns. And uh, for that, you know, engage with Jobs Move America, engage with our coalition. Um, we're, you know, gearing up for um, for more campaigns in the very near future. And um, we'd love to have your support. And, you know, many hands make light work. So the more hands we have, the more work, better work we can do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's some big projects happening all over the South and even more big projects to come. And I think those are all opportunities for us to to organize and to, you know, get some concessions uh, out of these big projects and to get some guarantees and to raise the standard for working people here in the South, because uh, for far too long, the South has been, uh, you know, an escape for companies. Um trying to escape unions, trying to escape environmental regulations, trying to escape uh, any sort of protections regarding race or gender. So it's, you know, it's really important here in the South that, that we are working together uh, to, you know, build agreements such as this, but but also, you know, as you said, just to have that solidarity that makes agreements like this possible. Uh, so, Will, was there anything else that, that we missed uh, that you wanted to share about either community benefits agreements or just in general what, what Jobs to Move America is doing? Yeah, you know, I think um, we've we've just got really exciting um, things coming down the pike at, at JMA over the next uh, few months, some campaigns that 
you know, we want to uh, to launch um, some um, research that we're going to be launching. We want, you know, a little bit of um, exposure for and attention on. And um, yeah, so just just uh, stay tuned. You know, if you want to connect with JMA, um, just go to our website, jobstomoveamerica.org, jobstomoveamerica.org. Um, at the top right, there is a stay connected That'll get you on our uh, our listserv or you know sign up for our email updates and and that's probably the the best and quickest way um, to stay up to date with what we're doing, um, especially in the South. Absolutely. Well, Will, thank you so much. I know y'all have a lot of really great work that is in the works, uh, some of which you can't talk about yet, but hopefully you'll be able to come back on the program and and as well as your team and and share some of this good work and. Uh, especially some of the research you're talking about once it's time to go public uh, would definitely love to cover that. So really appreciate all your work, Will, and uh, thanks for joining the program. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Appreciate you having me. Y'all got a great show. Uh, thank you so much. Absolutely. Have a good one, man. That was Will Tucker, uh, Southern Programs Director for Jobs to Move America. Appreciate him coming on the show. Um Phone number is 844-899-TVLR, 844-899-8857. If you want to call into the show, uh, comment on anything that we've been talking about so far, or ask us a question, if you're listening to this as a podcast, you can leave us a voicemail, and we might respond on the next show. Um, in the meantime, let's take a look at this uh, at another at another scab influencer on TikTok. Why are you doing this to me? Uh, because... <laughs> I think it's funny. So, uh, all right. That's okay. Really... <laughs> okay. Are, are we ready for this? Yeah. So this guy, uh, he's not a, he's not a scab nurse. He is a, um, well, it's not clear actually if he would, if he did what he is planning on doing, if he would be a scab in the, in the SAG strike, which is, which is even more, which, which makes it even more absurd that he is talking about. I mean, literally, he said, I, I will be the leader of the scabs. And it's not even clear that this production is a... Uh, and he actually said later that it's a non-union production. And so it's not scabbing, in fact. And He's, he's stealing valor from scabs. <laughs> wow. Stolen, stolen scab valor, yeah. Really kind of crazy stuff. So you know, the it, the controversy started when he said, "Oh, I've got a big announcement. It might be, it might change my life. I am, might have my own show." Blah blah blah. And you know, rightfully, people were like, "Uh, what are you talking about, buddy?" You know, there like, are new, new. There's no new shows <laughs> happening right, <laughs> right now. Uh, and so somebody commented like, "That sounds cool. Let give us an update after the strike." You know, and so um. So this was his response to the first little bit of push, kind of tentative pushback that he got from his announcement. Let's take a look at that one. Okay, this is something that I totally disagree with. I don't care if Hollywood is striking right now. I'm not union. I'm not part of the union. I'm never going to be. I don't care if they label me a scab. The fact that they refer to non-union actors as scabs says a lot about their character. Okay. I'm going to work. There are a lot of people who would be so happy. Nobody refers to non-union actors as scabs. People right. refer to people who cross picket lines and take union workers' jobs as scabs. 
There is a difference. And see, this is kind of the, and and we'll get into why maybe he has kind of this persecution complex, this grievance, you know, this kind of grievance-driven mindset, uh, because, you know, the the idea that like, oh, just anybody who doesn't work union is a scab, like that's not the case. Um, nobody says that, and uh, so why are you, you know, if if you're if your production is non-union, why are you feeling so? aggrieved by people calling scabs scabs uh it's pretty strange and um but it does not it said and but the thing that it says about people's character when they call scabs scabs is that they are good right they understand solidarity and they get it yep all right let's continue that they refer to non-union actors as scabs says a lot about their character i'm gonna work there are a lot of people who would be so happy to take the places of all these actors. I could have articulated that a little bit better, but any day I'm going to stop there for just for a second. Um, Yeah, you could have articulated that a little bit better by not articulating it is that's the way that you could have articulated that better because that is what everybody says about every strike um, that, oh, there are so many people that would be willing to be in your spot. And so therefore, you got to lie down and take it. You got to walk away from the bargaining table with your tail between your legs and accept whatever the bosses tell you. Um, right. We're just all hostages, just captive. Right. We have no agency. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, you know, if baseball players went on strike, I would volunteer uh, to play. <laughs> but you know what? I don't think they would put me on the field. There you go. Um, I mean, I wouldn't actually volunteer to feel, to play because I would never scab on someone. But you know what I'm saying? Like, this right. idea is kind of silly. Right. Um, yes, there are plenty of desperate, hungry people in this country, and that is a fucking shame, right? That is not something that we should just uh, be okay with. Uh, and so can you argue in good faith that maybe there are some people who would jump up at the opportunity? Maybe. Maybe. Because we have literally hundreds of thousands of people unhoused in this country. Millions of people don't even have a health insurance in this country. And so, yeah, you probably can find some pe- some poor, desperate souls who might be willing to do that. Uh, but that's not an argument in your favor. Sorry. And the, the desperation and also, you know, the ideology that's driven into people from birth about this, you know, atomization and individualization. And we don't live in a society. You know, it's just a bunch of individuals and we have to do the best. We have to we have to have an ethic of greed. You know, I mean, that's what uh, the capitalists want us to do. Um, and that is not a good human-centered ethic, I don't think. Uh, centering your worldview around greed, I don't think is good. Um, it's not, but it, it makes sense, right? It right. makes sense that we would have a culture that elevates greed and individualism and selfishness because we have a socioeconomic system that is literally predicated on one prime directive, which is the private pursuit of profit. Okay, so that's what un- that that logic is what undergirds the entire system in which we live in private profit so it's no surprise that we would have a culture that reflects that and elevates greed uh but my my message to this person here is you don't have to accept that you don't have to be a part of that yeah i would also challenge the notion that there are actually so many people who would be willing to take the place of all these 160,000 actors because uh like we said earlier in the program a lot of these actors most of them, 87% of them, make less than $26,000 a year. And therefore, right. they have to work two and three and four other jobs. So there's actually not that many people volunteering mm. to do that. And and I, I think it's 
probably uh, reflected in the fact that how many folks try that kind of career and, and then wash out. out of it. Yeah. And it's not necessarily because of a lack of talent, but because it's just not a very ideal situation and right. it's just not going to work for a lot of folks. Yeah. It's not a cakewalk, in fact, to be an actor, uh, despite, you know, the fact that some actors make good money which right. is even not the majority of them, but okay, we can continue. For independent film over anything that Hollywood is making, I'm so much more inclined to watch a Verite-style film. There's Artifice and Verite. Artifice is your Avengers, Jurassic Park. Verite is like Schindler's List, Lady Bird, Nightcrawler, all grounded movies, not big on all special effects. Movies. It's not a high budget. For me, I want movies and shows that have intimacy with the audience, like The Bear on Hulu, or Mr. In-Between, also on Hulu. Freaking succession, dude. I have the word verite tattooed on my arm. I want to make movies that portray life for what it is, no matter how comedic or tragic, and that usually doesn't take a big budget. So pardon me, but I'm going to get to work. Yeah. Um, really gross stuff there from that guy. Uh, and you can imagine it was not received very well. He got lots of stitches and lots of comments, uh, you know, trying to educate him about why scabbing is bad, solidarity is good, all of this kind of stuff. And also why, how, uh, you know, those, a lot of those projects that he mentioned are union projects. Right. Um, like, I, I, I believe that the vast majority of the artists that are walking out also want to connect with the audience, right? right. Also want to make quality art that, that people would want to tattoo on themselves. Uh, <laughs> like, I think that's probably a pretty wide felt uh perception right that they are trying to do good work uh and create good art uh so yeah what that has to do with being a scab i'm not exactly sure yeah okay so he responded to the second round of much more intense criticism if you can imagine in an even worse way Let's play that. I just got a potentially life-changing phone call. I got a message this morning from a guy at a company who said, oh, no. hey, we would love to develop and fund a TV show starring no, okay. you. Never you mind. meaning me. His this. wife is this a is CEO, and apparently she... I'm going to be quoted in the New York Times for what I've been saying on here. So I wanted to come on here and apologize for stating myself just so poorly. A, a lot of my sure. information was not even correct. <laughs> okay, so you can see here it's got the super standard YouTube apology video up, but I missed a I missed a TikTok in between there, and uh, so you know you just heard a little bit of the of what we just played was the first one actually. Oh, we started okay. with the it second was, was, one, yeah, and then there's a third one that apparently I missed, and this that we have on the screen right now is the fourth one. Okay, so this is kind of convoluted, but the thing that we missed was where he responded to the second round of backlash by saying that that's where he said, "I'm I'll be the leader of the scabs. I don't care if I'm banned from Hollywood, and Hollywood doesn't know who they're messing with." Because not only are they going up against me, get this, Adam. Do you know who else he has on his side? Who? God. Oh. <laughs> that was my next guess. <laughs> not yeah. only going to get up against this guy, uh, he's got God on his side. The Lord. His, the Lord. His Lord and Savior is going to help him scab and defeat Hollywood, was what he said. And... um. And uh, pray for him. Yeah, and he talked about how um, the company that reached out to him is uh, cr Christian but not preachy, and conservative but not Republican. 
Um, and that's perfect, he says. So, uh, yeah, kind of uh, weird stuff there. But okay, so after that, his management team very obviously talked to him and was like, dude, you gotta, you gotta stop this. You're not doing good here. <laughs> this is not going to be good for the right. film when it comes out. Right, right. Uh, so you gotta stop. And uh, so this is the result. This is his apology video. Yeah, it never, it's never a good sign when you've got to make this video. I'm going to be quoted in the New York Times for what I've been saying on here. So I wanted to come on here and apologize for stating myself so poorly. A lot of my information was not even correct. And I would go from making one point to making a whole other point even in the same few sentences. And I'm really sorry for that. I don't like that I do that. Because I fully stand with the unions and their strikes against the corporate greed that is inside of Hollywood. Hollywood's gatekeeping and... Wait a second. Is he a hostage somewhere? <laughs> Boy, he has changed his tune a little bit. Like, somebody got a hold of him. Yeah, what you can't see... Yeah, what you can't see off camera is Sean O'Brien is holding a shotgun to right, uh, yeah, like his like, child or something. Yeah, there's about 25 <laughs> UMWA and uh, UAW and Teamsters just hanging out right there by him. Yeah. Watching to see what he'll say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Monopolizing the whole industry has to be counteracted in some way. Striking is the best, the loudest, and the most efficient okay. way to do that. To have their unfit. Okay, so... Here we go. This is all so far is pretty good. Uh, we're again about to take a turn, though. Get ready for it. Their oh. treatment be heard. That is the way. But what I also support is independent film. For example, Mel Gibson, no matter what you think of him, funded The Passion of the Christ back in 2003 with $45 million of his own money. It was the highest grossing rated R film up until Deadpool. I understand that he made that money, that he funded it with, with union money, absolutely. But if the writers and actors push their own productions through the wheel, think of the power that they would hold on top of the power that they already have with the strikes. The TV show that I hope to develop is non-union. I should have made. I should have clarified myself that I am non-union as well. Taking union jobs from union workers is not my intent. It's not what I'm doing. I'm taking a non-union job, and to my understanding, that is not crossing the picket line fence. That is not scabbing. Unless you want to condemn anybody that takes work during a strike, but I don't see how you can do that. I can't even promise you that the company would go to union actors even if the strikes were not happening right now. Once again, I am so sorry for the confusion that I started. If I don't plan out and think ahead of what I'm going to say, I articulate myself so poorly, and I think that's really unfortunate. New York Times and Rolling Stone are going to quote me now. So I wanted to come on here and state my stance a little bit more clearly because I did such a bad job at that. So anyways, I hope I hope that we understand each other a little bit better. Peace, everybody. Well, All right, there you then. go. As, uh, idol is Mel Gibson. That's his... Um, Blink twice. <laughs> Blink three times if you're not okay. Yeah. Uh, something that's really weird. Uh, I'm not sure where you find these people, Jacob. Uh, <laughs> you know, you bring these people to me and it just rem like reminds me like, oh yeah, there's a reason why I try to stay off these corners of the internet. Um, yep. Yeah, but unfortunately, you know, I can't forget that. Uh, it just happened and... Here we are. Um, <laughs> that poor guy, you know, he's going to be quoted in the New York Times. And yeah. I bet you that's not exactly what he envisioned when someone, you know, if someone had told him, like, hey, man, you're going to be in the New York Times soon. 
probably not right. what he thought. Yeah, uh, definitely not. And and really, the funny thing is, is this, is this the finding out stage uh, right. that the kids talk about? Yes. You know, he is finding, finding out. out. He is uh, he is sowing uh, after he had so much fun reaping. Now he is right. sowing. Um, and and really, the funny thing is, is that none of this had to happen because it does sound like some, you know, like he totally random is not related to this. right. Some random, you know, independent Christian production company that is, you know, not under the AMPTP agreements or anything. Yeah, right. you know, so like none of this had to happen. Um, but here we are, um, <laughs> and so. Uh, some other stuff about him came up on my For You page, and apparently this isn't the first time he's had controversy. A uh, while back, he apparently commented on a video of a sexual assault survivor, you know, talking about their story, and his comment was, Meanwhile, in Asterix, dances provocatively. Uh, apparently commenting on other videos that this creator had. Wow, that's um, and then he, messed up. yeah, pretty messed up. And uh, he continued, you know, people pushed back against him on that, and he continued to defend himself and say, like, uh, yeah, you know, people shouldn't, uh, people should should dress modestly and and you know stuff like that. And and uh, I'm not apologizing. Um, yeah, so real weird guy. Um, and uh. I'm sure that um, all of our SAG kin are glad that he is not in their union and is not going to be. So there we go. But, uh, you know, Adam, lest you think that literally everybody on TikTok is is uh, super weird. Um, I did. I did have another one that, that is a, a, a little bit better. Uh, that's uh, that that'll give you a little bit of uh, some some hope. Again for humanity after I just dashed it. So, uh, so okay, let's take cool. a look. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a look at this one. Our race has already been negotiated. The full timers, the drivers, like we're gonna get ours. We're, you know, forty-two is not enough, and we're gonna get more than that. We're going on strike because the part timers are only making sixteen an hour, and that's unacceptable. And I will stand next to my part time brothers and sisters and make sure they get theirs on this one too. And I'll sacrifice two weeks of work if it has to, because that's what solidarity is. That's what we do. All right. And how the hell do you think we got to 42 anyways by sitting back and accepting 35? Nah. No. We demanded what was ours and that's what we're doing now. And 42, that's what it is now. In August when it, when that contract gets signed, we'll have more than that and it's going to keep going up every year because their profits go up every year. There you go. So, are you you feel a little bit better, Adam? Yeah, I do feel better. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you You've got to put that message out there, and I appreciate that, brother, for doing that. Yeah, really good stuff. So we've taken you on a roller coaster of uh, of what TikTok has to offer, and that's exactly the right message uh, about you know why people strike. Not because here's another uh, you know <clears throat> here's something else. Not literally, not every single thing is about you, right? as an individual sometimes we do sacrifice for others sometimes we sacrifice for the greater good sometimes we um we do for one another and we should and that's how we create a better society um so that's uh really really appreciate that as a package car driver him being a package car driver putting that message out there you know talking about like 
we've got it good. Uh, we're going to get it better. But even more than that, uh, the other people who work at UPS need more. And I'm willing to stand up for them, uh, um, not just for myself, but for them too. And so that's, I mean, really, really a great message. Yeah, um, I totally agree. So, uh, Adam, uh, something else that happened last week is a bunch of uh, union workers and members met with uh, President Biden and Bernie Sanders in the White House, right? And and Bernie sent out an email about it, didn't he? He did, yeah. And, and I wanted to talk about that and also had a couple IATSE stories to get to as well. Uh, because my union, IATSE, has been impacted, you know, by some of these struggles going on in the entertainment industry. Uh, but first, let me let me mention this email that Bernie Sanders sent out this week. Uh, he met with President Biden and various labor leaders. Right? They had uh, Starbucks workers, a minor league baseball player, a Sega video game worker, a Bluebird electric bus manufacturing worker from Georgia a Yale University graduate student chemist, and a worker at eBay subsidiary TCG Player. Hmm. Uh, so really cool to see that happening. Um, and I just want to quote a little bit from this message that Senator Sanders sent out because I think it uh, connects well with a lot of the themes of the show today. Quote, to my mind, at this moment in history, there is nothing more important than bringing working people together in the fight against corporate greed and oligarchy. And the very good news on that front is that all across the country, in every sector of the economy, we are seeing a major resurgence in labor organizing. Workers today understand that at a time when corporate profits are at an all-time high and the wealth of the billionaire class continues to soar, it is unacceptable that half of our people live paycheck to paycheck, and millions cannot afford the basic necessities of life. They are standing together in saying enough is enough, that it's time working people finally got their fair share. That is exactly why unions today are fighting back against corporate greed more aggressively and with the kind of strength we have not seen in several decades. We are seeing it at UPS, where the International Brotherhood of Teamsters are demanding a fair contract wages and benefits from a corporation which made $13 billion in profits last year. We are seeing it at the big three car manufacturers, Ford, Stellantis, and General Motors, who have made a quarter of a trillion dollars over the past decade, where United Auto Workers are fighting for better working conditions and a fair increase in wages. We're seeing it on college campuses all across the country where tens of thousands of graduate student workers are fighting back against ruthless exploitation on the job by their very wealthy universities. We're seeing it in Hollywood, too, where the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild of America are on strike against the big film studios and powerful executives as their industry continues to undergo rapid and transformational change. We're seeing this kind of action nationwide working people from all backgrounds and walks of life, courageously taking on corporate greed, coming together in solidarity to fight for dignity, respect, and economic justice on the job. This is what a grassroots political revolution is all about, but the question we face now is, 
where do we go from here? It will not surprise you to hear that in America today, the deck is very much stacked against working people trying to form a union. With corporate consolidation and the ownership class, workers are trying to take on incredible concentrations of power and wealth. Despite the incredible popularity of everything the labor movement is fighting for, major corporations deploy every union-busting trick in the book to stop their workers from organizing on the job. Workers are often subjected to highly illegal threats, coercion, or even fired for their efforts. Corporations bring in highly paid union-busting consultants and lawyers and do anything and everything to keep from providing their workers with decent wages, benefits, and working conditions. This is why, now more than ever, our movement must stand together in this fight. It's why, as the chairman of the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, proud that we recently passed the PRO Act out of committee, landmark legislation which would make it easier for workers to organize and revitalize the labor movement in this country. The economic and political future of our country rests upon every, on one very simple principle, the need for working people to stand together in the fight against corporate greed and create an economy that works for all of us and not just billionaires and large corporations. I'm proud of the remarkable progress our movement has made and important victories we've won, but there's still an incredible amount of work ahead of us. Let us move forward together and get it done. In solidarity, Bernie Sanders. So really appreciate that statement and sort of connecting these dots and tying these struggles together. Um, I appreciate that message. Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. Um, and you mentioned you've got, there are uh, several IATSE stories, right? Yeah, absolutely. I want to keep people posted on what's going on with IATSE uh, because we've heard about the writers, we've heard about the actors, uh, but let's not forget about the behind-the-scenes production crew, right? Uh, I'm talking the stagehands, I'm talking the hair and makeup artists, I'm talking the loaders, the riggers, the lighting crew, all the other folks that help make live production happen, right? Uh, so the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IOTSE, is a labor union representing over 168,000 technicians, artisans, and craft persons in the entertainment industry, including live events, motion picture and television production, broadcast, and trade shows in the United States and Canada. I'm proud to be a member of Local 900 here in Huntsville, where I serve as political coordinator, and uh, we do the behind-the-scenes production work at the Von Braun Center in downtown Huntsville, as well as the, the new Orion Amphitheater. Uh, and I'll be there tonight working with my sisters and brothers uh, for a country music show. So really, uh, in Huntsville, we have not seen that direct impact from these strikes, uh, but we did come pretty close with an issue I'll tell you about here in a second. But the, the biggest ways in which IATSE has been impacted, of course, would be in areas closer to uh, the productions that are actually being shut down, right? So my sisters and brothers who live in Hollywood and New York and uh, parts of Georgia, where a lot of movie production happens, um, other areas like that. 
Um, and so members of IATSE have certainly been impacted by the SGA and WGA strikes. Uh, we've seen our members lose work because there are productions that are shut down. We've also seen our members display remarkable solidarity uh, and refusing to cross picket lines, joining picket lines, joining rallies uh, with our writer and actor Ken, uh, and even you know showing up for the Teamsters as they rally and practice picket and prepare uh, for this battle underway. And so really proud of my union and uh, proud to see my union Ken out there fighting alongside these other workers in this struggle. Uh, I'm going to quote here from our international president uh, who did release a statement regarding the uh, actor and writer strike. Quote, in the face of an industry-wide crisis, I want to unequivocally voice the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees' stalwart support for striking entertainment workers in SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guilds. The actors and writers' cause is reasonable and just and is part of the same struggles of every worker whose labor powers America's film and television industry. The heartbeat of entertainment is the creativity and dedication of working people using their talents and skills to bring cherished stories to life. It is this very heartbeat the studios threaten to silence with reckless disregard for fairness and human artistry. The urgency of this moment cannot be overstated. Our industry is at a crossroads, and the actions taken now will affect the future of labor relations in Hollywood and beyond. The world and history are watching as entertainment workers once again take on the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, AMPTP, an ensemble of media mega corporations collectively worth trillions of dollars, including Amazon, Apple, Disney, Netflix, Universal, Warner Brothers, and others. I am disturbed by the studio's weak attempts to divide and conquer union members across our industry in recent days. The economic fallout for below-the-line crew members is real, but IATSE members know the studios were responsible for shutting down film and television production months before their negotiations with the writers and actors even started. Make no mistake, if the studios truly cared about the economic fallout of their preemptive work slowdown against below-the-line crew members, they could continue to pay crew members and fully fund their health care at any moment as they did in 2020 during the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Instead, grassroots groups of writers, actors, and directors, like the Union Solidarity Coalition, are stepping up to fund mutual aid that directly benefits our members, and I recognize them for organizing this much-needed support. It's plain as day who our allies are. We stand shoulder to shoulder with our SAG-AFTRA and Writers Guild kin. Their fight today foreshadows our fight tomorrow, and we must stand united until the studios acknowledge our collective worth and the workers prevail. In solidarity, Matthew D. Loeb, International President of IATSE. So I wanted to highlight that and kind of where my union stands in terms of these broader entertainment industry struggles. Um, it's worth noting uh, that the pink contract became an, kind of a flashpoint this week. Um, negotiations between IATSE and uh, the Broadway League, as well as Disney Theatrical, uh, they really had broken down. And on Wednesday, there was an announcement of a strike authorization vote. And then wouldn't you know it, on Thursday morning, 
a tentative agreement was reached. Now, I don't know all the details of the tentative agreement. I don't know if anything changed last minute, you know, uh, or, you know, what changes may have taken place. I don't think it's a coincidence that after negotiations break down and then there's a strike authorization announcement that suddenly there's an agreement reached the next day. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, this is uh, the pink contract. So, it, like I said, it involves with the Broadway League and Buena Vista Theatrical, which does business as the Disney Theatrical. And uh, this is a big deal because obviously these shows go on tour. And so this would have impacted not just folks literally on Broadway, uh, but all over the country as these shows uh, travel. And so good good news, I think, that we've got a tentative agreement there. We'll stay tuned on the details and hopefully uh, next week have a little bit more information to bring you about that. Uh, and this comes on the heels of a ratification of the bus and truck touring agreement, uh, which did secure some key improvements for the crews. And uh, the bus and truck touring agreement passed with an overwhelming 86% of votes cast in favor. So that's a big win. Uh, I'll take that as a sign that the agreement must have, you know, made some important progress on some, some key issues there. Uh, the negotiations were very, very challenging. And, uh, you know, it looked like for a while that, you know, productions could be shut down this fall. So glad that there's an agreement there as well. Uh, the ratified agreement includes crucial improvements such as single occupancy housing, which is a critical change from previous terms requiring touring crew members to share rooms. Uh, the agreement also includes additional compensation for moving shows between cities more than twice per week and for load-ins on the same day as a matinee performance. A breakthrough has also been made with an increase in guaranteed rest days. This new addition addresses a long-standing issue where workers often went weeks and even months without a day off. Furthermore, the agreement improves financial stability for members by increasing annuity contributions on the lowest tier and enabling workers to self-contribute to their own annuity. These hard-fought improvements have been won in the face of repeated threats by the employers to cancel the upcoming fall season. Yet bargaining team members remained committed to fighting for the well-being of their fellow kin and the sustainability of touring theater. So, good news there. And my final announcement for IOTSE is that the union is currently doing a 2023 member census. This vital initiative aims to gain accurate, anonymous, and aggregated statistics about the union's membership across the U.S. and Canada. By inviting every IATSE member to participate, the census will empower the union to better advocate for our members' rights and interests and ensure future actions reflect the union's membership. In our commitment to accuracy and integrity, we partnered with the Worker Institute at Cornell University's School of Industrial and Labor Relations, ILR, to lead the endeavor. And their reputable expertise guarantees the utmost care in the survey, data collection, and analysis. And I just really want to encourage all IOTSE members who may listen to this, may hear this, uh, to be on the lookout in your email for that survey. Uh, I think it's really important that we all participate. And if you want some more information, just go to iotsynet slash publications. That's where you can find some of these updates I, I pulled this information from. 
uh, including the one about the census, and you can find some background information there if you're really curious. Uh, and that's all I've got for the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. I appreciate the opportunity to provide some updates. Absolutely. And uh, did you did you get did I miss the uh, local stuff? Maybe you talked about that, and I just I zoned out for a second. No, you're good. You're good. No, I, I'm good. I, I just wanted to mention that I am a member of Local 900. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought uh, I thought you said that that there was maybe some local news, and maybe I missed. No, that. no. The, we we thought we might have some local news if the pink contract, you know, had not gone well. If uh, there mm-hmm. had been a strike over that, uh, you know, or if the bus and truck touring contract, either one, if either one had gone south. And there had been a strike. Obviously, that would have shut down productions all over the country, including, mm. you know, here in town. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're all thankful that, you know, some agreements have been reached that are hopefully are a positive for the members and, and keep folks at work. Good. Good deal. Okay. Um, let's talk about Starbucks for a second. And we announced the a couple of weeks ago that... Uh, An administrative law judge with the NLRB uh, ordered Starbucks to reopen a store in Ithaca, New York, after it had determined that it closed the store, not for business reasons, but in retaliation uh, to the workers there organizing. Ithaca, importantly, was the first city in the United States where every single Starbucks store in the city unionized. And so this presented a very big issue for Starbucks, very concerning, um, potentially precedent setting. And so they were even more motivated in this city than maybe in others to try to squash any, uh, any union, uh, any union attempts and organized workers. So not only did they close the store that they were ordered to reopen, but they closed every single store in Ithaca. Uh, those cases are still working their way up the the chain with those other two stores. It's only the one store right now that has been ordered to reopen, but they have closed every single other store in the city. Um, so this is, you know, if if you hear that, that they've closed every single store in the city, I mean, the only rational thing to think is that they did that in retaliation um there's you you can't have an ounce of critical thinking skills or or be speaking in good faith and believe otherwise i don't think Uh, common sense common sense but the wall street journal editorial board disagrees if you can imagine that well common sense ain't always so common (laughs) so the wall street editorial board really went in on the nlrb um saying that they were uh, discriminating against Starbucks and targeting them for their... Wait, discriminating? Yeah. For their use of... Uh, uh, for, for their reasonable application of business reasons, and they state that lots of stores close every year, lots of stores open every year. You can't say that it was because of union uh, animus towards union activity. And, uh, you know, uh, and so a prominent barista in the Starbucks Workers United Union, Casey Moore on Twitter, uh, really broke down the article and uh, destroyed their arguments, I think, um, really, really, uh, just really thoroughly. And, um, 
you know that it just that's one more uh example under the under the idea that uh having a fancy job or a law degree or a political science degree or whatever, uh, working in a fancy institution like the Wall Street Journal does not mean that you are a very logical thinker or that you are privy to the way that the law works or, right. or anything like that. Meritocracy um, is a myth, and uh, particularly when it comes to these media institutions um they're not always sending their best folks yeah they are not sending their best and i I don't know about you jacob i mean you're a little bit younger than me but certainly in my life i've experienced a lot of people with a lot more money than me and Mm. a lot less sense yeah and a lot less brain power um the two don't always have to be correlated exactly Meritocracy is a myth. We shouldn't believe in it. And this story is uh, illustrative of that fact. So, uh, Casey Moore, like I said, uh, at Union Casey on Twitter, she broke down some of the uh, uh, some of this article, and she started it with, "This may be the most idiotic article covering the Starbucks campaign I've ever read." A thread, and she opens her arguments, uh, uh, showing how the editorial board uh, just just kind of. Um, Summarizing their argument, the Wall Street editorial board essentially argues that Starbucks is somehow being unfairly, quote, targeted by the NLRB because they are being forced to reopen a store that the company claims was closed for, quote, business reasons, end quote, and not in retaliation for union activities. She says that this argument is incredibly flawed and lazy for many reasons. In the article, the authors admit that Starbucks only closed the College Avenue store after workers went on strike over health and safety problems. Uh, A quote from the article, "The The problems bubbled over when employees decided to walk off the job until the grease trap was fixed. Management fixed the leak the same weekend, but decided that staff troubles and the possibility of future leaks were enough to merit a closure. Starbucks locations are closed for much less cause almost every day. The cafe shuttered, uh, the cafe giant shuttered 424 stores in 2021, and nearly as many opened. Uh, the chain closed two other stores in Ithaca last year, but hundreds of unionized Starbucks <laughs> remain open. And she, uh, she points out that what the authors conveniently fail to mention is that the grease trap issue, it's not just something that sprung up. It had been an issue at the store for years. And only after the store unionized and went on strike about it did Starbucks give a single shit about it. Uh, that's, the only, that's when they started caring according to Casey, and she, and then she comes with receipts saying, how do we know this? In the ULP trial, we got to see emails between Starbucks executives and local management talking about the store not meeting the Starbucks, quote, brand needs after the strike. Despite having fixed the issue, ostensibly. Um, and also despite, you know, they're saying we closed it because of this grease trap issue, but the grease trap issue had been present, like she said, for years. Right. 
Second, according to Casey, what this article fails to mention is that Ithaca was the first city in the United States to unionize every Starbucks in the city. This terrified Starbucks and they did everything possible to retaliate against their own workers and make their lives a living hell. For instance, the Wall Street Journal editorial board fails to mention that in the same administrative law judge decision where the judge orders Starbucks to reopen the College Avenue store, the judge also found Starbucks guilty of illegally firing workers, of retaliating against workers, of changing policies illegally, and more. The company didn't stop there, according to Casey. After illegally closing the College Avenue store last summer, Starbucks decided to close every store in Ithaca this spring, citing again business reasons. Now, the Wall Street edit, uh, the, she says that the Wall Street, edit, uh, Wall Street Journal editorial board, of course, knows this, but didn't think it was relevant to Starbucks' clearly bullshit claims. Would the Wall Street Journal also take Starbucks' word that, word that the remaining two Ithaca stores were closed for business reasons in a city with over 25,000 students as customers? Also, she says, to claim that many uh, union stores remain open is not a valid line of reasoning to argue that uh, Starbucks didn't illegally close a union store. Of course, it's just a red herring. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, it, it would be as if, you know, like I punched somebody... And they take me to court over it. And instead of talking about the allegations of did you punch him or did you not, I cite all of these days in which I did not punch this person. <laughs> right? right? Like, look at this. I went an entire month without punching this person. So surely that means that I didn't do it on this time. And know, also it's know, like, do we really need to dig into the, dat the data on uh, the store closures and how disproportionately they tend to be on the union side, right? I mean, right. if they want to open up that can of worms. Yeah. So no, Wall Street Journal editorial board, this closure did not look like a reasonable business judgment to anyone with a brain or even a shred of critical thinking skills. Instead, And so instead of writing an article with half-formed and easily disprovable arguments, the Wall Street Journal editorial board should have just stated their point simply. They believe that companies should be able to legally retaliate against workers by closing stores that organize. Right. And that, and that's exactly what I told you when we were discussing mm -hmm. this earlier this week, is that if the Wall Street Journal came right out and said, hey, we love property rights and capitalists so much that we right. think these capitalists should have the right to do this. They should have the right to just shut down the production and close the whole store uh, and to retaliate against unionization. If they just were honest about that, right. I would respect it a little bit more right. than trying to insult people's intelligence yeah. uh, because I think it's pretty obvious what's going on and, you know, to imply otherwise, I feel like you're you're talking down to me and yeah. I don't much appreciate that. Uh, at least be honest about, you know, the fact that you are a bootlicker. Yeah. Just be honest about that and, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that. But... Uh, I don't like it either. Um, you know, it's the Wall Street Journal. It's garbage. It's garbage. And I do appreciate uh, this worker for really like clearing up the issue uh, mm -hmm. and, and laying out the facts about <laughs> what's really going on here. And, you know, I just really am inspired by the Starbucks workers and what they're doing and I really appreciate what they're doing. And you know, I think about some of these young, really young folks, you know, mm -hmm. young as 16 at the Scottsboro right. store who are taking on this corporation who is just bound and determined to fight their own 
partners mm. every step of the way. It's sickening. Yeah. It's really sickening. And, you know, I, I don't know how some of these people in Starbucks management sleep at night. Right. Yeah, she closes with, unfortunately for Starbucks and the Wall Street Journal editorial board, that's not how labor law works. The facts remain clear. Starbucks illegally closed the College Avenue store, and they will have to reopen it as a remedy for their actions. Um, yeah, that's and, and that's another thing. It, you know, There are so many people like this that are like, uh, this is America. If you don't like it, then go go live in Venezuela or something, right? And this, you know, this is one of those times where, you know, we live in America. We live in America. The National Labor Relations Act is, for now, under this, you know, reactionary, um, illegitimate, I think, Supreme Court, it is for now the law of the land. And if you don't like it, uh, you can leave. That's my take. I think that's, uh, that's going to wrap it up for us today, right? Sure, yeah, I did want to go over our plugs uh, before we head out of here because there are a few different events I wanted to highlight. And just a reminder that we also air on Unclaimed Mysteries Radio, which is a Huntsville-based internet radio station. Uh, You can listen on Live 365, just search Unclaimed Mysteries Radio. And so as they do each month, our friends at Labor Notes are hosting a series of online trainings you're looking to learn how to get involved in your union or activism in general i highly recommend you check them out uh jacob mentioned earlier about the caucus how-to event on august 9th uh but they have a few others coming up and that includes on tuesday august 1st that evening they're going to do what to do when your union breaks your heart uh if you never saw the episode of Shop Talk a few weeks back with Ellen David Friedman, we, we actually talked about that. Uh, she's the one who does that that session. Uh, she came on Shop Talk. We talked about that and, and some other subjects. Uh, but it's a really good training session. So especially those of you who, you know, have experienced some, some negative things in our labor movement, uh, it might be worth your time. And something else I want to point out with Labor Notes is they're doing race and labor in August. Uh, it's two sessions on Saturday, August 5th, and then Saturday, August uh, 12th. And they are going to be, you know, unfortunately, at the same time as the show. Uh, mm-hmm. So I won't be participating, uh, but I definitely think it will be worth your time. Um, so if you're a person who listens... Uh, after the show comes out already, right? Uh, if you're listening live, then we'd still love to have you on, on uh, next Saturday live. Uh, but for everyone else, definitely encourage you to check out this race and labor session from Labor Notes. Uh, it's an online workshop held through Zoom. How does racism show up in our workplaces and our unions? What are some strategies to confront it and build solidarity for a stronger multiracial labor movement? And what can you say? to union siblings who aren't convinced racial justice has anything to do with union politics. Uh, So that is a very important session, I believe. And uh, on top of all that, they are going to have their Secrets of a Successful Organizer uh, workshop series, and that'll be starting August 14th. So just go to labornotes.org slash events to find out more information there. As we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, the Crea- Creative Arts Youth Summer Camp on Wednesday, July 26th. Uh, really think that's a neat idea. Uh, 
there's a lot of different groups involved with it, is my understanding. Uh, but one thing that I really liked is I found out that CWA 3905 Union Steward Joseph Barker is going to be teaching a cooking class for the little kiddos, and I just love that. So uh, search Facebook for the event. Consider bringing your little ones if you have them. Uh, so way to go, Joseph, and CWA 3905 for this really cool way to uplift the community. I think that's a great idea, um, and, you know, anytime your unions are doing things like that and you're really giving back to the community or, you know, giving back in any sort of way, uh, let us know. We'd love to highlight it. We'd love to promote your events, but we'd also just love to tell that story uh, because we know our unions are out here in the community doing a lot of good work and doing really neat things like this. And, you know, I just happened to come across this. Uh, there's other stuff happening, I'm sure, and we'd love to talk about it. So uh, next, I uh, also wanted to mention the AFL-CIO is hosting its Injury to All campaign uh, immigrant worker protections training July 25th, 12 to 2 p.m. Central Time through Zoom. Uh, so just go online to AFL-CIO to find out more. The session will provide a step-by-step -step overview of the process through which unions and organizers can help workers access temporary immigration status protections and work permits very relevant considering the conversations we've been having today about immigrant labor uh, and child labor in this country. Uh, on July 27th, that's Thursday, July 27th, is a webinar from Just Solutions called Economic Drivers of Climate Vulnerability and Resilience. So it's going to be uh, Thursday afternoon. Join us for part one of the Perfect Storm of Extraction, Poverty, and Climate Change webinar series. In this webinar, we will explore the real-world economic conditions that constrain the capacity of frontline communities to cope with, prepare for, and respond to climate change. Hear from the authors of Just Solutions' recent report, The Perfect Storm of Extraction, Poverty, and Climate Change, a framework for assessing vulnerability, resilience, adaptation, and a just transition in frontline communities, followed by a panel discussion featuring experts in the field working on solutions to these issues. So, sounds interesting coming up this week. Uh, Alabama Rise has restarted its Town Hall Tuesdays. Uh, you just missed it on July 18th when they did Building on Our Vision to discuss advances we made this year and to hear from each other about potential issues moving forward. Uh, but no worries. If you missed that one, August 8th at 6 p.m. is Building on Our Hope. So go to alarise.org to register for these online town halls. And don't forget to check out our series called Shop Talk, which airs on Thursdays, uh, typically at 9.30 a.m. Central Time. But uh, we are going to be retooling that. Uh, things are going to be changing with Shop Talk to accommodate some changes in my schedule. Uh, so probably starting in August, what we're going to be doing is pre-recording the episodes uh, for various reasons, but mostly just to ensure consistent quality and consistent release, uh, because I think that's important. And, uh, you know, when we record things live, obviously there's more opportunities for for goofs and uh, little little accidents and mishaps, uh, especially when it's just me by myself in the studio recording shop talk. Uh, so we are going to be moving to pre-recorded episodes 
not super sure on the timing of when we're going to be releasing those just yet. We'll definitely keep you all posted on that. Um, we think it's important to have a, a special series of episodes that are dedicated to labor education, history, and training. Uh, but it's just something we're going to have to retool a little bit uh, and definitely appreciate any feedback that y'all have about it. And last thing I have is just to encourage folks to, again, check out our website, tvlr.fm, uh, sign up for our email newsletter, and you can stay in touch with the show. And in closing, again, I wanted to, to send my love and sympathy and solidarity to the family of Devon Robert Thomas Perez, who was 16 years old and died needlessly in a poultry plant in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Um, and so that's all I have, Jacob. All right. Well, uh, with that, we are going to go ahead and roll out. Appreciate your time. Um, if you have, uh, if, if you've got anything you want to ask us, you want to contribute to the show, you can leave us a voicemail. Uh, Definitely do that. Send yep. us some texts. Send us some voicemails. 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also send us a text message, like Adam said. Uh, you can pre-order our new redesigned Join a Union shirt at tvlr.fm slash store. If you would like to um, become a monthly donor, tvlr.fm slash donate, we would really appreciate it. Thanks again, and we will see you next week. <laughs>